research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. Sitting next to me is Eric Eggers, the co-pilot on this program. So, Eric, I'm thinking about having some done, work done to my house. What's the secret to picking a good contractor? Um, there's several things, but I would encourage you to do it because I've never felt manlier than when I paid someone else to do construction work. <laughs> it's, it's very rewarding. It's a very, very fulfilling experience. Uh, no, but I think the key to a good contractor is you want to make sure that they get the work that they said they're going to get done on time. And then the, the real key here is making sure they come in at or under budget. Ah, uh, at or under budget. And that's probably not always an easy thing to do, but you can hold them into account, right? If the contractor says it's going to be $4,000 and they charge 8000 right? Uh, not in my experience, no. <laughs> uh, they're like, hey, we're going to do this extra thing that you don't have any control over and it's going to cost you this much money and that's just the way it's going to be. And you're like, okay. Well, we are going to talk about the federal government today as a really lousy contractor. They don't get the job done and they overcharge, right? And, and they're overrun with immigrants. <laughs> <laughs> they don't always have work permits, is that what you're saying? <laughs> but we think about this in the context of the massive debate that's taking place right now about Social Security, the future of Social Security, the national debt. Uh, and Joe Biden has had contradictory things to say about this during his long, illustrious career in politics. Um, last week, he did his best to scare old people to say that Social Security is going to go away. This is what he said during the State of the Union address. So my many of some of my Republican friends want to take the economy hostage. I get it unless I agree to their economic plans. All of you at home should know what those plans are. Instead of making the wealthy pay their fair share, some Republicans, some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. That's actually one of my highlights of the State of the Union address, right? <laughs> Energy's up, a little bit of back and forth. You yeah, know? it is. It reminds me of uh, question time in the British Parliament. You know, the prime minister comes and people cheer, they shout. And what he's talking about, by the way, is Rick Scott, is a senator from Florida, former yep. governor from Florida, has introduced a plan that would make every federal government program sunset every five years, which basically just means, hey, it's going to end unless Congress yeah. votes to reauthorize In other words, it. they'd have to vote on it again. And of course, 
any politician, let's be honest about it, any politician that voted in Social Security would be immediately voted out of office. That's why they don't do anything about it. Um, but that's Joe Biden scaring people that Social Security is going to be taken away. Um, but Joe, Joe Biden actually liked the idea in 1975. And even in the 1990s, he defended the idea of basically making radical changes to Social Security. Here's what he said back then. When I argued that we should freeze federal spending, I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. And I not only tried it once, I tried it twice. I tried it the third time and I tried it a fourth time. Yeah, I guess back then uh, he was in his 30s in the 1970s and then in his 50s or, you know, late 50s in the 1990s. He's now 80. So apparently his views have changed on Social Security. Well, he's now eligible for Social Security. <laughs> so, of course, his, his views are going to change a little bit. But he wasn't wrong, right? I mean, in the 1990s, we did have a federal spending issue at a federal debt of nine trillion that was earth shattering back then nine trillion dollars in debt and what is it today it's over 30 trillion dollars over 30 trillion and so he went saying when we had a nine trillion debt we've got to do something about this we've got a free spending now that it's more than three times that he's like hey we're not touching anything and this gets back to the old thing because we've talked about debt before we've talked about just uh you know raising the debt ceiling and why it matters that we spend more money as a federal government than we make in terms of revenues or we collect in terms of taxes uh but it matters for several reasons not, not the least of which is that the amount of debt that we have actually costs us even more money it does. It does. It's like a credit card payment. Uh, let's say you're b making just your minimum payments on the credit card and your debt keeps running higher. You still have to make interest payments on your debt. And our federal government does that as well. That's right. We had to spend $475 billion in net interest payments last year, which is up from $352 billion the year before. And so to put that in some context, uh, it's projected that it, at this rate of increase, right, if, if we can just what because of interest rates going up and the fact that our uh, debt continues to increase, the amount of money we'll spend on interest payments to the debt by 2026, it's three years from now, will actually be more than we spend on national defense spending. Unbelievable. And keep in mind, like the United States is regularly criticized because we spend more <laughs> on national defense <laughs> than the next 25 countries combined. We spend $760 billion on national defense, and that's how much, that's less than what we will spend on our own debt in three years. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, this is the cost of debt. Um, a lot of people don't realize or believe that debt is a problem. Uh, a lot of people that are Keynesian economists uh, believe that deficits are good because they stimulate uh, economic activity. The problem is like any stimulative activity, you actually have to pay for it at some point. Uh, and in this particular case, you're making payments to investment banks. You're paying, making payments to foreign countries, Japan, Saudi Arabia and China, others who not a huge amount, but own portions of our debt um, and who to pay that. We as taxpayers have to pay that. And by the way, it's like when you get a bill uh, for your you know, utilities or, or something at home, you have to pay that first. If you don't pay those debt payments, uh, everything's going to collapse in terms of your ability to even run deficits or take on debt. So the first thing that's going to get paid as our debt payments increase is not Social Security. It's not national defense. It's going to be the debt payments to those people that are buying up our debt. 
and as expensive as paying uh, the interest payments on our debt is, it still pales in comparison to the actual fiscal obligation of Social Security, which is why this always gets mentioned as one of the things on the chopping block. I didn't actually realize we've seen changes to the Social Security program over the last few years in terms of the retirement age being increased from 65 to 67. As a transition, there's proposals to make the new retirement age 70. But um, but, this, but what's also new is as those this proposals are being discussed, the amount of money that Social Security is costing us is dramatically increasing. So from 84 to 2009, the Social Security program itself, right, which is essentially a pyramid scheme, um, but the revenues were good, right? They made more money in terms of yeah. the tax, the Social Security tax. We brought in more than we paid out. But then in 2010, I mean, what happened? All these boomers started living longer <laughs> or, or whatever it is, but we started- Blame like, it on the boomers. But it started costing us a lot of money. And so now what's happened is as people are living longer, we're paying more people on the program. And because of inflation, the cost of living increases, which at 1972, Richard Nixon signs and makes it a law that guarantees an increase in social security benefit based on the consumer price index. And oh, by the way, one of the reasons why I think Rick Scott's idea is not a bad one is because, you know, so the inflation goes up, the amount of money we spend on social security goes up. Guess automatically. What, automatically. Guess what happens if inflation goes down? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. So you get deflation. Hey, you still get the same payment. And just to put this in the context, uh, last year we passed an 8.7% increase on Social Security benefits. That's because of the inflation that we're experiencing under the Biden administration. That's the largest increase since 1981. Of course, inflation was higher back then. Uh, and it's the fourth largest jump ever. So this is the reason that our debt is increasing. And this is the reason we've talked about this before. But this is the reason why this debt ceiling debate is taking place, because otherwise we never have a conversation in Washington about spending. Because they don't pass budgets anymore. We haven't passed a budget since the mid-1990s. So the only opportunity you have to sort of sit down at the dining room table and for a wife to say to her husband, hey, honey, we really need to talk about our spending. The only chance we get to do that in Washington, D.C. is with this debt ceiling debate because we don't even pass budgets anymore. So let's just talk about like what you just said. Let's combine three of these elements and talk about like what fiscal reality is facing the United States right now. Number one, we don't pass budgets, right? right? Number two, we don't sunset programs. So things get automatically renewed. Right. And number three, the largest obligation financially that we have, which is the Social Security program, you said the 8.7% increase because of inflation last year. That's after what happened was a 5.9% increase the year before. And the way compound interest works, if people like the math, if you multiply 1.059, which is a 5.9% increase, right. times 1.087, hmm. you get 1.15, which means over the last two years, it's been a 15% increase in the cost of the program. Yeah. And that's a program that already costs us $90 billion a month. Yeah. So, so no, no budgets are passed. Um, there's no discussion about benefits. We have inflation running out of control. Here's the other problem. Our government lies. Ooh. <laughs> I know that doesn't surprise a lot of people, but it has huge consequences and they do this all the time. And this brings us back to the contractor analogy. Imagine if you hire a contractor and every time you hire this contractor, they 
completely underestimate the cost of something. They tell you, oh, that's going to cost $4,000 to do that deck. No, actually, we're wrong. It's going to cost 12000 This is what our federal government has done. Just think about some of these programs. Medicare, for example, uh, was enacted um, in the 1960s. It was projected that the federal government would spend $9 billion on hospital services in 1990. $9 billion. What was the actual cost? $67 billion. They were off by 644%. Uh, this is what they do. They say, oh, we've got this great program. It's going to help a lot of people. It's not really going to cost that much money. And their math is always, always off. And that's the way they sell these programs to us. That's the math we did 50 years ago. That's back when we were still teaching ciphering, you know, <laughs> before they diluted all the math textbooks like CRT stuff. Right. <laughs> exactly. Back when plus meant addition and not a lifestyle change. Exactly. A Medicare Part B, which is the physician services, um, they when they adopted Medicare in the 1960s, they said it was going to cost the federal government $500 million a year. Uh, the actual outlay for the program was $163 billion. They were off by 4,400%. More recently, Obamacare. Obamacare was just passed in 2010, so that's not that long ago. The original estimate was that it would cost $940 billion over 10 years Oops, it actually cost $1.6 trillion over 10 years. I mean, they are massively wrong all the time. Same thing with the student loans program. Yeah, this is my favorite. We're talking about just like, so why it matters, you know, programs cost way more than we thought they would. And then so, they ever tell us that they're going to cost. So that, yeah, And you think it's, they're inherently deceptive. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. It's like a contractor that comes in and says, oh no, we can, we can do that job for, for $4,000 knowing that they're going to have to upcharge you and, and charge you a whole lot more. They just want to get their claws into you. That's what the federal government's doing. So I would say, you know, one of my favorite phrases is never mistake incompetence for conspiracy. But I would say this most recent example, which was revealed in the GAO report last year, does suggest that maybe there is some intentionality behind it because it does seem it's like weird to be this wrong. Yeah. So um, you know, the education department has said we have this federal student loans program mm -hmm. and they've long touted the federal student loans program as a moneymaker. Source of revenue for, for the, the federal government. Yeah, They're over here bragging. They're going to sales conference. Like, How'd that work out? They said it's going to make one hundred and fourteen billion dollars in income over the last 25 years. So how did you? Well, we're going to sit fat cash taking cruises, you know. Yeah fly like a G6 or whatever <laughs> cultural reference you like. Uh, it turns out that's not entirely accurate. Instead of making $114 billion, the federal student loan program actually cost us $197 billion. Oops. So Oops. off by a shade over $300 billion in terms of expected revenue uh, versus actual cost. So these are all things that have combined to put us in the incredibly challenging fiscal reality that we are. And that's what makes having hard conversations like what to do about programs like Social Security, uh, like that's one of the reasons why they will hold that up as a scare tactic. Now, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid combined actually do cost us somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 trillion a year. So it's a big boy deal. Yeah. Um, and it's only going to get more expensive. But do you really think that they, I mean, 
you don't think they'll cut it. They won't cut it. But could you see them suggesting to modify it? I, I think they're going to have to because it's going to go bankrupt, right? I mean, that's the the projection is that the, the 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 trust fund, which is, of course, really not there. This is the old Al Gore lockbox, right? <laughs> Social Security's in the lockbox. Um, there is no lockbox, guys. That piggy bank was cracked open a long time ago. Uh, it's going to go bankrupt, and they've got to figure out a way to solve it. And I don't pretend to be an expert on the subject, but what I do know is is something's got to be done or the entire system will be at risk for everybody. Right now, there are 65 million Social Security recipients. You're going to have to do something uh, to fix this problem. It's not going to just go away on its own. But here's also the problem. We just went through describing how often our government has lied to us Mm -hmm. in terms of the math. If they come up with a solution how do we know it's really going to work? I mean, I, I just I don't trust them to do it because they're doing what's politically expedient. Why is Joe Biden trotting out the, you know, the trope that that Republicans are going to take away your Social Security because it works politically and there's a political price you pay for even discussing the fact that there's a problem and we have to do something about it? Well, and you talk about political expediency. Let's talk about one of the things that would actually help solve or at least alleviate the financial burden of the social security cost. And that is encouraging people to not take their full social security benefits, right? Or not retire so early. We we talked, I think, what is like two and a half million men, 25 to 54 have just been erased from the workforce. So the trend lines are not positive that way. But I do think, especially as we start to see political season ramp back up and just on the news, they're talking about which Republicans are going to run for president. It'd be interesting to see if what emerges is like, it's not wrong to encourage people to work. Yeah. But it's funny to me, and this is a little bit of social security history. This just was so bizarre to me that this was like celebrated. But so the first <laughs> this is a great story, this is somebody that's like, so apparently the per- first person to ever receive a social security check was like a celebrity. Her name was Ida Mae Fuller in Vermont. And so for whatever reason, she got the first ever check, which is issued on January 1st, 1940. And how much was it for? It was for $22. And then, so I guess because she was like first in line, Every time that there was an increase in Social Security, she would be the first one to get it. Yeah. And so it was always in the news. Oh, Ida Mae Fuller from Vermont um, got, you know, is the first one to get the new <laughs> check with a new benefit amount. Go Ida. And apparently it continued to the point yeah. where in 1965, when there was, a, I guess, the, a new big increase, she got a letter and a phone call from LBJ. <laughs> Ida Mae Fuller's 91 getting a right. letter from LBJ saying, hey, congratulations, enjoy your thing. She lived, I think, for another 10 years, yeah. never married, never yeah. had any kids. She didn't need to. She could get a big old government <laughs> check. Like, remember in the 80s when welfare queens were a thing? It was like, yeah. oh, that's a racist yeah. term. The real welfare queen, some white old lady from Vermont. Lives in Ludlow, Vermont, or lived in Ludlow, Vermont. <laughs> I see Ida. Yeah. No, look, my view has always been Social Security is different than the other programs because it is actually it was passed as as a, as an insurance program mm-hmm. because remember the benefits you get are based on how much you put into the system and you get it because you have paid into social security if you have not paid into social security you get a very very minimal uh, uh, amount of support. And so in my mind, social security is a legitimate insurance program. It's been pushed as that don't turn it into, or pretend it's an entitlement program like the other ones. Cause it's not, but again, the problem is we got to do something or it's not going to be there. 
but I'll tell you another trend line that I think is negative this way. And, I, you know, Andrew Yang, you, we had some discussion. Yeah. Andrew Yang was running for president. Yeah. But one of his ideas, which I think he found to be particularly zany, and I, I'm not going to defend it, but the idea of turning uh, April 15th or tax day into a national holiday, right? Right. Because he's trying to like incentivize, encourage some level of patriotism. Right. Now, I'm never going to be enthusiastic about paying taxes, <laughs> but I do think, I mean, if, if the alternate is now true, which is there's the level of trust in the government's at all time low, partly because as you noted, like they're bad at a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. They lie yeah. to us about how much things cost. And like, so we can, we are routinely let down by these things. They are the, they are the contractor who does a crappy job and then overcharges you repeatedly over and over again. But as you pointed out, there's no other contractors in town. This, this is the only one we have to work with. But if one of the only solutions to helping preserve this program is people need to work more, partly out of a sense of pride because you're trying yeah. to help like pay into the system to keep people's grandparents alive. And I'll admit, you know, two of my grandparents are part of the problem. You know, I got a 95 year old <laughs> grandpa in California and a 92 year old grandma in uh, South Carolina still alive, bilking the taxpayers for billions. <laughs> do, do you not like your grandparents? <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> They're clearly a drain on the system. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, I love what I do. I hope that I'm going to be working uh, till however old I am. But I also understand people that have very difficult jobs. If you're you know, a coal miner, you have a very difficult job. You don't want to be doing that till you're 75. And I understand that. And you have paid into the system. You deserve it. The question is, how are we going to preserve the integrity of this? And again, Social Security is different than you know food stamps or other entitlements because people have actually, the reason is, is, is that there is a Social Security tax that is separate from your income tax is it's supposed to go specifically to preserve your Social Security uh, check and future payment. And any proposed changes, by the way, to the retirement age would happen after for people born after their 1978. So Correct. if you're 55 or older, it's going to be fine. But it is just interesting to say, I mean, that's the context of this discussion. That's why there's even a thing about like, hey, Social Security, should it be cut? Should it not be cut? Should federal government programs be subsidized or excuse me, sunset? And the fact that they're not is just like the trend lines are all going in one way and it's not good for the future of the country. So like that's why I think Republicans are trying to get some forced negotiation, like maybe shut down the government uh, and not raise the national debt ceiling. Because otherwise, like as you said, when else do you come to the table and have a hard conversation about it? Yeah. And here's the problem. We talk about how in Washington, D.C., it's all about passing the buck, short term thinking. If you stand up and say, hey, we're going to have a problem in the next five to seven years, they're going to crucify you and go after you. But that also requires us as citizens to be thinking in terms of long term uh, and not just voting for people who are telling us what we want to hear. The nice, happy thing to hear is to say, Social Security is great. It's no problem. Don't worry about it. You're going to keep getting your check. We don't have to change the program. Again, they are lying to you. And you need to be adult enough, I think, to step up and challenge the political leaders and say, no, 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 you are lying to me. I'm entitled to my Social Security check. I earned for it. I paid into the program. But we've got to do something to fix this and show some darn leadership in Washington. Don't keep lying to me. And, and here's the problem. I mean, let's be blunt about it. Part of the challenge when we have political leaders who are 80 years old, and there are those in both political parties. I mean, let's look at Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, Joe Biden, uh, former President Trump, 80 years old. They're not thinking long term. They're not thinking long term. If you are a younger leader, if you're in your 40s, you're going to be alive when things crash and burn and you're going to be blamed for it. So that's going to create a certain incentive. If you're 80 years old and things are going to crash and burn, you know, seven years from now, 
you're thinking, hey, half half the odds are I'm going to be dead. So oh. I don't care. I don't want to wrestle with it. So the short termism is partly because of the expedience of politicians. Part of it is these old politicians who don't feel like they're going to be around and alive and have to deal with the public scorn they're going to get for failing to address these problems. You're saying uh, regardless of your political affiliation, if you're an octogenarian, you're a Keynesian because you believe <laughs> in the long run, we're all dead anyway. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I do think that is a factor. And I also think it's a factor of our media because how does the media cover these things? You know, Rick Scott proposed saying, hey, we should have Congress vote every five years on every federal program. I mean, Congress is not going to get rid of Social Security. I mean, they would be strung up if they did so. Uh, so it's a good idea. But how does the media cover it? Rick Scott proposes ending Social Security. That's not what he's proposing. He's simply saying elected officials should vote on it every five years. So the media distorts it. The media is looking for clicks. They're looking for emotions. They're looking for things that are going to drive people to read an article that has a for- horrifying headline that's not accurate. And oh, by the way, to his point, when's the last time any federal program went away? Right. I mean, it's almost sort of a miracle that they're going to end and we'll do a podcast on this in the future. But two years after COVID went away, we're finally going to end the state of emergency <laughs> and the increased funding and all the benefits that went along with right, that. Right. So, like, so that's a big deal. I right. mean, so that's an example of something going away, but only because a once in a generation emergency and pandemic has ended. But otherwise, these programs, they just exist forever. Yeah. So we pay for it and eventually, you know, the bill comes due. Yeah. And, and, and again, part of the problem is there's not a lot of electoral benefit for politicians, unfortunately, to cut programs. People talk about the fact that they're concerned in general about federal spending, but when it comes to the things that matter to them, they don't want cuts. So we've got this terrible contractor who does a shoddy job and overcharges you got Leach on the system, Ida May Fuller. <laughs> <laughs> Ida May's working for the contractor. No, but so what? What do we do? What? It, what is the? Uh, what is the solution here? I mean, we can't fire the contractor, but maybe we can get better ownership of the contractor. How's that? Yeah, I think that's right, and I think you just have to have like dispassionate uh, reception when of hard facts, right? Yes. I mean, and and not by the line that, hey, Rick Scott wants to kill your grandparents by ending Social Security. Uh, besides mine are indestructible anyway, so I'm not worried <laughs> about it. But yeah, I think uh, I think just being being able to put things into context and be an informed consumer uh, when you hear those rash and irrational headlines. I agree 100% and realize problems don't go away just because you pretend they're not there. I mean, this is the, the advice that you hear all the time that's given to people that have personal debt problems. Don't pretend it's not there and ignore it. It's only going to get worse. And in this case, we're not talking about personal finances. We're talking about our government and our future as a country when it comes to finances. So uh, we got good advice on contractors today. We got a good understanding of the first Social Security recipient, Ida. She collected for quite a while, right? Uh, Yeah, until 1965. 1965. Actually, until 1975, that's when she died. 1975. So it is a a good thing that we're all living longer, and we want that, but it creates challenges for the Social Security program, which is one of the reasons we need reform. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, We hope that this was informative. It gives you insight into what's really going on in the Social Security debate and the factors at work. You can find this podcast and articles about our work at the Government Accountability Institute at thedrilldown.com. You can also find the podcast on wonderful locations anywhere where fine podcasts are located. Thanks again for joining us.